Well, good morning, 11 o'clock. You would not believe our 930. Anybody hear about it? The transformer blew, the power was out, and we were walking around praying to God above and singing, I got the power. And it was getting, getting, getting kind of hectic around here. It was kind of strange. We, did, we didn't have AC. We didn't have our screen, which were the two things I actually wanted. And uh, we had limited uh, screens halfway through. It's so funny. I say this with great respect and reverence. I hope you understand that. But uh, there, were, there was uh, people who were starting point when the screen did come back on. We didn't have these screens or that screen, but this screen came back on halfway through the sermon. I kept talking about not having the screen, but it, then it came on, but then no one told me. But, uh, the, you know, which, you know, in a black church, they would have just told me. But we just had a lot of people going, sweet. And no one told me. So anyway, just uh, we'll talk about speaking the truth in love. And obviously our church needs to grow a lot in that area. Come on, let's love each other and, uh, and call it out. Hey, I'm going to begin with a, a, a statement and tell me if you agree or disagree and to maybe what extent. It's easier to be aware of what's going on around us than what's going on inside of us. Do you buy into that or just a little pithy preacher parable? Is this something you buy into? It's easier to be aware of what's going on around us than what's going on inside of us. When, when we gather, a lot of times, especially of half the world, there's a tribe called men. I am one of them, and it's just so easy to focus on news, sports, and weather, you know. And then you talk about NASDAQ and the S&P and the Dow Jones Industrial Average, anything uh, but what's going on inside of me. And it's just easy to do that, and this is the world that we live. There's something about us as humans that, you know, we can talk about Afghanistan, we can talk about Haiti, we can talk about even Mississippi that's made the national news here a lot uh, in these last couple of weeks. And we can talk about that concert in New York City. Anybody hear about that where they were welcoming New York City back? The crowds are trying to come back and they were doing a celebratory concert and Hurricane Henry started rolling in and they canceled it, which we thought we were going to have to do with church today. We were going to have to call that audible at the line of scrimmage. But uh, there's just stuff happening in the world and it's what we do. We talk about it and we should. But think this morning about your self-awareness. Are you self-aware? Now, self-awareness, I want us to make sure clearly that we contrast self-awareness with self-preoccupation. I want us to celebrate one. I'm calling you to it today from the Scripture. And I want us to try as best we can to steer clear from one that is uh, so dangerous. John read uh, so wonderfully Romans chapter 12. Anybody think that was good? Anybody want to say amen? Like that's just truth bomb after. I love Romans. I was telling the earlier service, Romans 1, I mean, it, it, 2 and 3 just starts off talking about the grandeur and greatness of our God, but it talks about our condition. It talks about sin. Sin affects every one of us. Sin affects every part of us. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Listen to me. You don't meet your own expectations of yourself. You betray your own values, the goals that you write down, much less a high and holy God. And we fall short of that, but there's this remedy in Jesus. And that's the Romans. And then toward the end of this book, there's chapter after chapter just dropping some truth bombs about how now we should live in light of what is true Here's how you should live. And that's where we are uh, in Romans chapter 12. And the focus is Romans 12, 3. In Romans 12, 3 here, uh, you heard John read it. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you. By the way, stop real quick. 
It's communal. The Christian faith is not a passive spectator sport. We are to come together. We are to be together. We are to be close together. We are to be among each other. It is plural. It is, it's personal and it's corporate. Um, it's, a, it's a faith that is to be embodied. I always interrupt myself when I'm reading the Word. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, circle that, each according to the measure of faith, circle measure of faith, that God has assigned. In this, there's a call. The two phrases I had you circle, sober judgment and measure of faith. One is probably easy to understand. Sober judgment, I know what y'all are thinking. Y'all think about your days of drinking uh, last night for some of you. That's cool. You're welcome here. We love you. But you're thinking about that, but the, the, the rendering there is soberly, sanely, sensibly. In other words, to think well, properly of yourself. And the call here is don't think too highly of yourself. But let me contrast that with don't think too lowly of yourself. Y'all know Fondren's got some development going on. And even though we're walking through a lot of angst and a lot of uncertainty, there are good days coming for our neighborhood. You guys know that one of the things we want to keep in front of you is that we are in the city and for the city. The prophet Jeremiah didn't see a lot of fruit, but he was called to preach the gospel to some hard-hearted folks, but to to seek the peace and prosperity of the city. That's one of the reasons uh, that we're here. And cool thing, uh, many of you know, is there's a development that will be opening probably in a few months, and included in that is a bowling alley. Anybody excited to go bowling with me? But let's pretend that you go bowling with me. We have lunch. And by the way, I'm not just going to have lunch. I'm going to have lunch and go bowling. All right, so it's a package deal. But if you go bowling with me, and let's pretend that we're bowling, and I roll the ball, I let go of it. And what do I do when I roll the ball? I, I talk to it. You talk to it. We have no control over it, but we talk to the ball when we roll it down there. And let's say that I gutter. I, I, I throw a bowling ball, and I gutter it in the left lane, the left gutter. How many points do I get? Z- zero pins, right? But let's say you're bowling with me on lunch one day and I gutter to the right, not having a good day. But how many, how many pins do I get? Zero. Both balls went in the gutter, whether it's in the left or it's in the right, the result is the same. And so as we talk about faith, why faith matters, and today faith and self-awareness, both, are, both fall short of the gospel. If you think too highly of yourself or you think too lowly of yourself, it's a zero-pin sum game. When we think too highly of ourselves, we forget that we're helpless and we're needy and we're desperate for God's grace. When we think too lowly of ourselves, by contrast, we forget that He has saved us, He has given us His Spirit, and He's deposited gifts in us. And we, we both, listen, the gospel is, wants to destroy both pride and despair. So we come with sober judgment. The gospel faith, a faith that matters, should lead you to learn about you. What does your faith teach you about you? Don't think too highly. Have sober judgment. Be sensible. Have some sanity. Have some perspective, but also don't think too low. Back up to Romans, Romans 7. 
Paul, after talking about all, how all of us have sinned, how sin affects every one of us and every part of us, he says that I'm a wretched man. The things that I want to do, this is the common struggle. If we're honest, if we're doing pretense and acting like we got it together, then we don't talk like this. But Paul let down a guard and said the things that I want to do, I don't do them. The things that I don't want to do, I do them. Isn't that demoralizing? How demoralizing is that? That's, that's painful. And Paul says, I am a wretched man. So we could sit there for a little bit because that's you and that's me. There are things that you don't want to do and you do them. There are things that you do and you don't want to do. And that is, that just points us to our, can I just say it, our common wretchedness. But I'm glad that Paul didn't stop in Romans 7. Anybody want some Romans 8, 1? There's therefore now no more condemnation. It's why we go to therapy. It's a good thing. It's why we talk to counselors. It's why we need pastors and leaders and people to speak into us because we condemn ourselves we condemn ourselves more than other people condemn ourselves at times and we condemn ourselves before a God who never condemns us anybody want anybody want me to be clear John three sixteen for God so loved the world you don't know, you know that one he came and whoever believes in him but it says there there is therefore now no more condemnation I did not come into the world to condemn the world but to save the world the intent of God is to save you and speak truth into you and to, for you to have proper self-awareness in your life. Not too high, not too low. Let me ask you, where, where are you? Everybody probably has a propensity one way or the other. And it's not static. It's not stationary. It's very kinetic, very moving, very fluid. It's very dynamic. But there are times when you may be in a moment thinking too highly of yourself. You, you're, Paul would go on to say, John again read that. Don't be haughty. And what do haughty people do? They don't. They don't. They don't fellowship. They don't identify with people that they assume are of lower stature. Can I just say that? What a what a um, what an evil that is! Like detestable to God. So when we get haughty, bad things can happen. Pride can do that. The gospel destroys pride, but the gospel uh, it destroys the lowly thinking as well. Several years ago, I think I've shared this with some of you, but I, I would, uh, there was a stretch where some people came up and uh, they would tell me, hey, Robert, we're praying for you. And a couple of folks told me, we're praying that you won't get cocky. We're praying that you won't get too confident. We're praying that God would humble you. Somebody told me that we're praying that God would humble you. That scared me. Like I just went home and got under the pillow. I didn't go out for like days because God didn't want God. No, we're praying. And I remember I went home and Susan can tell you, uh, she's been married to me for almost 25 years. I have the spiritual gift of pouting. And I was just pouting. I was like, and because I, I, she was the only one I felt like I could talk to. Because if I shared it from the pulpit or talked to any of you, we maybe would, uh, you know, not accept or understand. But I was like, man, Susan, some, some people are praying for me to not be cocky. I wish someone would pray that I would have some confidence. And I didn't feel confident. And there was voices of condemnation. There was serious doubt and discouragement. And by the way, discouragement is the best tool of the enemy. When he can plant that in you, he's got you. And I was going through that. I, I needed some confidence. And here's what I want to say. I'm not saying that my story is your story. I just, I feel like there are some folks today where maybe that's what you're walking through. It comes across, people think they live with you and, and try to love you. And they, they see you as being haughty. Or they see you as maybe having the thinking too highly of yourself. But inside, there's that lack of confidence. There's the low image. And even the low awareness. So where are you? What's your, what's your thing today? And can I say just tell your closest people? 
Tell your closest people what you need. Don't, don't make them, you know, leaders are not mind readers. And talk and express and let the people who know you and love you and live with you, let them know where you are and they can minister to you. First Thessalonians 5.14 says that different people are in different places. So we, we encourage the weak and we rebuke the idle. We're patient with everybody. Patience is the be all end all. Be patient with everybody because we're all in process but we're at different places. So don't think too highly. So the first phrase that we had you circle is sober judgment. Soberly, sensibly, sanely is the rendering. The second phrase is the phrase, the measure of faith. Now in the English translation could be very misunderstood here, this measure of faith. It sounds like to us that God has given different people. It says it's his assignment. So you you have a lot of faith and you don't have much faith and you got a mediocre amount of faith on and on and on. And that's not what it's saying. Here's the Greek word and the Greek word here, metron, is where we get our English word meter. In other words, it's a standard of measurement. So Unlike what it reads in the English, it, the Romans 12, 3 is telling us that God has given us all the same faith. We have the same standard. Now it says, it says each of you, among you and each of you. In other words, there's diversity. There's a whole lot of different folks in the body, in the family, but there's a standard form of measurement so that we don't walk around going, I've got a lot of faith. You don't have much faith. I, we form opinions of ourselves and other people based on who's got faith and who doesn't. This is a standard thing. We have an equal faith. Paul would make it really clear in Ephesians 4, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. It's not the, the differences at times that uh, make us uh, compelling. It's uh, starting with what we have in common, what we share, and there is this faith that God has given everybody. I want to give you uh, five questions. I'm going to roll through them fast. That scares some of you when I do a number of points that are over three, but we'll do this really fast. I want to give you five questions, if you will, to ask yourself that will help you uh, grow your faith and your self-awareness. Uh, the first question is this, where am I strong and where am I weak? I know that's super basic, isn't it? But you'd be surprised how many of us aren't really aware of that many of us don't self-assess very well. Can I say that? I remember, I hope you remember this and you'll confirm it that I'm not up here lying, babe, but we were out to dinner a couple years ago and we were with a couple and the gentleman told me in the middle of the conversation, he goes, Robert, you know, you're, you're very, and I, of course I was drum rolling wondering what he's going to say, you're, you're, you're very, you have, you have, you have self-awareness. And that really meant a lot to me and I didn't know that I was really self-aware. And later, I, I was bragging on that. I was like, told Susan, man, do you realize I, like, he thinks I'm self-aware? I'm so self-aware. Like, other people don't get their stuff. But like, I have eyes and I see. I'm so self-aware. And I kept reminding her that I'm self-aware. And she pointed out my lack of awareness with my pride and stuff like that. But where am I strong? Do you, I mean, really, do you know? Where am I weak? Any parents in the house? Love your kids. Y'all know you need to love your kids. Discipline your kids. You know you need to discipline your kids. Help your kids find a core competency. Help them identify as soon as you can, truthfully. Now, I know there's that stage where anything they draw makes the refrigerator, and you tell them that it's Picasso. I, I, I get that. that. That's cool. But soon after that, you've got to be like, hey, you are good at this. Oh, hey, mm, mm. let me tell you, hey, right there. And, I did, and call it out. Man, call that out. Where am I strong and where am I weak? In Philadelphia, uh, in Revelation a letter circulated to seven different churches. And it says this about the city of brotherly love. It says where they're um, weak and strong. I know your deeds. uh, I see I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut. I know that you have little strength. 
yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. If we could leave that up for a second. You have little strength. What's another word for that? Weakness. Now, we don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us what their weakness was. I've, I've read Revelation. Uh, always be careful reading Revelation. But I read it, and some scholars believe that maybe they were a small church, or maybe they were financially, they weren't uh, really strong, or something along the, the, those lines. But he's saying that you've got this weakness. You have little strength. But this verse, though uh, John on the island of Patmos wrote it to a church so long ago, I think it can connect to us today in this regard, at least in this regard. This is us. This is you. There are areas where you are not strong. You of little strength. But he says, hey, let me tell you, you're obedient and you're persistent. How about that? that, that that's, that's strong. I mean, a lot of people are quitters. Anybody tempted to quit? Do not grow weary in doing good. Can I just say that over you? Don't grow weary. Are you weary? Tell somebody. Tell somebody. Tell Jesus. And tell that friend of yours. And tell your church. And let us pray for you. Don't quit. This church was... Pers- oh, they had, they had strength. They were of little strength. But here's the thing. Just like earlier, it didn't go over really that well. But when I was talking about my self-awareness... I was making a point of the pride that can be. So when you're called out and someone says you're strong and you're kind of not, then it inflates your pride. And so your strength can actually be your weakness. In this journey of faith, be very careful of your strengths. Make sure they are submitted to your Savior. Make sure they're surrendered before a sovereign God. Relinquish them and let Him mold them and shape them and own them But here, the little streak, where are you weak, and then where are you strong? For Philadelphia, it was their persistence, and it was their obedience. So that's this question, this idea of where are you strong, and where are you weak? When I, 10, over 10 years ago, we were about to start a church, and I went through a church planter school, and they gave me a notebook, and it was training sessions, and I was so excited when we finished it, and I remember the leader going, all right. Now all you got to do is go start the church. It scared me, but they spoke into me, and there was a a self-awareness study. It was one of 12. They didn't tell you, like, what kind of church to plant, but they just said, here's some leadership principles, really good stuff. And they had a profile there, and it spit out um, who I was. It says, Robert, you're energizing, pioneering, and affirming. You're motivated by group activities and relationships, action, and collaboration. You're optimistic, and you're convincing, but you're afraid, your fears are a lack of influence, betrayal, rejection, disapproval. The challenges that you have, Robert Green, are getting organized, staying focused, following through, researching the facts, and re- quit laughing, and, re- and re- resisting impulse. Can we just stop the sermon and can I call out the front row? Um, can I call out anybody that really knows about Now, is that Mary Ellen and Laura laughing, Jimmy's behind them? Like, is that true? All that is true. I think that's why you're laughing. Uh, amen, yeah. But like, uh, listen to me, like that is me, oh, that is me, and whether, I mean, and I got to be careful of the things that are, that are good, and I got to compensate, uh, I need the grace of God in the strength areas, and I need the grace of God in the weakness areas, and listen, they're just, I, I stopped reading on the weaknesses, because they were laughing on the front row, and I'm going back into my protective shell of silence, <laughs> because I was judged, but look, there are so many, so many weaknesses, and so many strengths that I have. How about you? How about you? What, 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 what are you about to embark on? What's the new thing? What's the challenge? What's the bold adventure? What is God calling you to? What is it?
and learn about yourself and where you're weak and where you're strong. Uh, second question, I think we're there, is what is my gift? So where am I strong? Where am I weak? What is my gift or gifts? This is my understanding of the scripture. Four places in the New Testament, it talks about spiritual gifts. My understanding, coalescing the teachings of all, supplementing it with what the scripture teaches, is that all of us have a gift, uh, but we may have multiple gifts. So three things from Romans 12 that John read. Each Christian has a gift, verse 3. Secondly, God has made us interdependent, verse 5. Pride keeps us from pursuing and using our gifts. C.S. Lewis called pride the granddaddy of them all, the granddaddy of all sins. It has its tentacles in everything in your life, and pride in its most uh, you know, visible way is I'm better than you, but most of the time it's more subtle than that, and we don't get involved. We don't connect with people in richer, deeper ways because of pride. So each Christian has a gift, verse 3. God has made us interdependent, verse 5. And pride keeps us from pursuing and using our gifts. Back to verse 5, the measure of faith, the sober judgment. Don't think too highly of yourself. God has made us interdependent. You need the body. If you were, I'm, I'm going to be gruesome here, a little, little gross anatomy that's literally gross, but if you were to cut out a body part, an organ or something, and you were put it out on old Canton Road, it would be a pathetic spectacle. Beyond being gross, it would shimmy and shake and it would wither and it would die because that part of you is cut off from the larger body. So we'll, I'll stop being gross for a second. Have I made my point? But that, listen, that's the picture. If you actually play this out, okay, I'm not as gross as Paul. Paul, Paul dropped some stuff, but um, I won't mention it today, but he dropped some stuff. But yeah, that, I mean, that's, that's you. That's the picture of you apart from the body. And here's what I've in a tough season, here's what I'm appreciating all the more as a non-denominational church that's almost 10 years old. We're about to celebrate 10. But uh, we've got a lot of variety here, not variety in areas where we're hoping for and praying for and working towards. But y- y'all know that, y'all know this. We got a lot of Presbyterians, a part of Fondren Church. We got, we even have some Charismatics, I'm finding out. We've got some, we've got some Baptists, a good number of Baptists. That means we're predestined to speak in tongues at a potluck. So we have... <laughs> a lot of different types of folks here and we are needful of each other we're interdependent on each other we don't walk in as emotionally needy people and just throw our stuff at everybody and only talk and only share our stuff we love and we serve and we confess our sins and bear one another's burdens and uh, again we read it in Romans 12 we honor one another we outdo like that's that's a good most competitions not good but Romans 12 gives us a competition compete with each other to outdo one another in showing honor and we are interdependent on each other. So what gifts do you have? When I lived in Tallahassee, I was in a, a Christian leadership group. I never knew him. John went to Israel with him. But Coach Bobby Bowden was there. He passed away last week. John has pictures of him and Coach Bowden and folks in, in the Holy Land of Israel from years ago. But uh, there's a, a thing that we did on self-awareness called the Venn Diagram. Have you all heard about that? A lot of folks uh, nodded their heads in the 930 hour. The Venn Diagram has three A's, three components that I think will help you in understanding how God has wired you. The first is your ability, what you're good at, what gives you strength. Uh, apparently, uh, the front row knows my strengths and weaknesses. What you're good at and what gives you strength. By the way, Marcus Buckingham in the book Strength Finder says that you can... Um, you can be good at something, but it doesn't give you life. So that probably is not your gift. It probably points you away from what you 
should be doing. And so you can be good at something, but it doesn't give you life. Like you do it and you do well, and people are like, man, that was good. But you're like, ugh, drain me. That's probably not going to point you to your gift. Affinity is, uh, this is how I put it together, past experiences, painful chapters, united or unified hurts, signature struggles. I'm re- I read that slow for effect. If I were to um, say to you, if you've been to Hawaii, stand up. If I were to say to you, if you drive a Volkswagen, stand up. Everybody in the room, stand up. If you have a 30-year fixed, fixed mortgage, stand up. If you have a 15-year adjustable rate mortgage, I don't even know what I'm talking about now. Uh, stand up. If I... So picture that we did that and picture some of you stood up. In fact, at the 930, some people did stand up when I said, who's been to Hawaii? They're very proud people. But, um, but let's say you were, you were to do that. Play that out, if you will, in your imagination. Uh, what, what effect would that have? Probably nothing, right? That, that would be, let's just say, that would be mildly fascinating. But let's say I say, if you lost a loved one to cancer, stand up. If a child that you brought into the world passed away, stand up. If there's this sin that's sin A and brings you tremendous shame, and it's got you locked in the vice grip, stand up. Now play that out in your imagination. What effect would that have in the room? You would look around, and you would care. And you would feel. And that is affinity. Let me drop the word on you. Second Corinthians chapter 1. Some of you know this. God is. God is. You got my attention. What's God like? God is the father of mercy. Who's glad about that? And he's the God of all comfort. I am the pastor. My sins are many. I'm glad God is merciful. He's the father of mercy. And God of all comfort. Alright. That's cool. Cool. Yay God. Team God. But then Paul, in the same sentence, the same breath, he says, comfort one another with the comfort that you have been given. Sometimes, don't get the wrong impression of me, but sometimes one of you will call me or call the office or call Tammy and ask for me or one of the other ministers, and you'll want to talk about a past experience, a painful chapter, a hurt, or some signature struggle. And I'm always available, always willing. But sometimes, and more times lately, I've said, you know, this person needs to talk to this person. Because it's called, the, we call it in the industry, we call it the perils of professional Christianity. Some of y'all think I'm the person to talk to about all these things, and sometimes I could be. But if you've experienced the Father of mercy and God of all comfort with this particular signature sin or this hurt, this painful chapter, if you've walked through a painful chapter, can I just say today, would you have the self-awareness? God wants you to, he wants, to, he wants that to be redeemed and redeemable in the life of somebody else. And it, I soar with joy when I see the body doing that. And I didn't ask approval, but I could share a story or two lately where one of you have done that, and I rejoice. Affirmation, God gave us his church to see what we can't see. If God has given you a gift, other people will affirm that gift. If he's called you to preach, there better be some people called to hear you preach. 
if you're going to sing or you have an exercise of leadership, the John Maxwell, famous John Maxwell says, if you're, if you're just, uh, you know, if you say you're a leader and you walk around and look behind you, no one's following you, you're, you're taking a walk. <laughs> and so if you have the leadership gift, be careful. But by the way, if you have the leadership gift, I'd love to talk to you about that leadership gift. But it, it has great pain involved in it, great pain. And to the extent that you can absorb pain and tolerate pain is probably the extent that God will grow whatever you're leading. All right, so where are we? What are my strengths? What are my weaknesses? What are my gifts? Here's the third thing. What drives me? In parentheses, I put motivations, ambitions, and grandiosities. I'm, all, I'm thinking of Jesus right here and all these. And there are three stories in Matthew. We have the screen. We didn't last hour. Here's Matthew chapter 20. Let's give that a second. Do we need that? Go back just a second. Sorry, Emily. What drives me? I see a couple of you taking notes. Motivations, ambitions, odd word, our grandiosities. Matthew 20, Miss Zebedee. Y'all know about Miss Zebedee? Then the mother of of Zebedee's sons came to Jesus with her sons. This is the first example of helicopter parenting. And kneeling down, ooh, a posture of humility, the religious act. You can do a religious act and then do a dastardly deed, right? You don't even have to do do one one day. You can do them at the same time. Y'all know that about the human condition? Like same moment. So don't judge them because you got it in you. I got it in me. She asked a favor of Jesus. What is it you want, he asked. She said, grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit at your right hand and the other at your left hand in your kingdom. You don't know what you're asking, Jesus said to them. Can you drink the cup I'm going to drink? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, you will indeed drink from my cup, but to sit at my right hand or my left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared by my father he's teaching about servanthood he's teaching about another kingdom because our eyes are always on this kingdom we get so excited about political power and political candidates and our agenda we forget that we're not even living for this kingdom i know one's important i'm not saying it's not don't come at me i'm just saying jesus wants to teach him to serve he wants to teach him about another kingdom but miss zebedee the first helicopter parent said hey and then this crazy this is crazy to me it's like she's it's like she's saying to jesus hey i know you're about you know there's the betrayal and there's the conviction and the condemnation, and there's the crucifixion, the flogging and the mocking. Oh, but can you upgrade my boys from coach to first class? Can you let them outshine all the other guys? Like, that's the request. And what I'm saying to you, based on Romans 12, 3, based on faith and self-awareness, is that we have that in us. It is in us. It's a strange thing when you step out in faith to follow Jesus and you have this gift, and it's been affirmed and identified, and then you want to use it. And it's crazy how much you're going to have to deal with motivation and ambition and, yes, grandiosities. And there's three stories. Matthew was like, I'm going to give you another one, and then I'm going to give you another one because it's in us. <laughs> All right, where are we? What, what, what are my strengths? What are my weaknesses? What is my gift or gifts? What drives me? And then another one here is to what extent do I shift the blame? So blame shifting, we argue about Genesis. We argue about creation. In arguing, and I'll argue people, um, I don't know it all. There's history, it's literal, and there's poetry. And God never started the book by going, here's a scientific treatise about how everything started. So just relax. But in the story, from the very, very beginning, we see blame shifting. Adam, we preached this a couple weeks ago. Adam, where are you? That's not an informational question. That's a diagnostic question. 
Where are you? And he's hiding because he's naked and ashamed. And then he blames Eve. And then Eve learned quickly from her husband and blamed the serpent. So there is a lot of blaming, which brings us to this point about shifting the blame. If you read Genesis 3, 11 to 12, I just kind of recapped it, if you will. And then you read 1 Peter 2, 23 to 24, then do this. This is your homework assignment. Compare Jesus' response to the mob with Adam's response to God. Unlike Adam to God, Jesus' response to the mob, Peter tells us, the one who walked on water last week in Matthew 14, Peter tells us that though reviled, though blasphemed, though flogged and mocked, he did not answer. But he entrusted his fate into the just God. And that was his response. There's a world of difference. And when we deny, we lose. When we deny, we're walking away from a faith that could so matter. It's been uh, pretty common through the years to do some marriage counseling. I really prefer just to do the weddings. And after this illustration, if you still want to come see me about your marriage, 601-208-0800. But it's been common through the years for people to come see me. And one person will come see me because it usually starts with one. And the person will come see me and they'll tell me and then pretty quickly I'll, I'll try to listen. That's not my strength, but I, I try to listen. And then, I, then I, I say at some point, I interject. I'm like, well, it seems to me that the person that's causing the problems is not here. Is that true? And they've already said, they don't even have to answer. It's rhetorical. I'm like, so since they are not here, I'm going to draw a circle. And I draw a big circle. And I say, if this, is one, this circle represents 100% of the pain in your marriage... Draw me a slice of the pain and confusion and hurt that you're responsible for. Y'all know what they do. They draw a little slice. And I don't need to ask the question. I do just for clarification. I'll say, now, which one is you? And they'll go, oh, well, I'm the, I'm the little slice. So I'll write me in there. And then the big circle, it's like 90%. I'll write them because them aren't here. And I'll say, well, since them aren't here, Would you and I, in the time we have left, would you tell me your part in the thin little slice that you want to take responsibility for? Now, stay with me. Almost every time, no one can do that. The assignment I have given is clear. I'm not a teacher, but the assignment I've given is very clear. We can't talk about them, but let's talk about this thin little slice. And they can't do it. Them, 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 them. And we shift the blame. Living a life of faith is having the awareness to own what we need to own. And to do our part. Remember what my brother read, Romans 12, 18. As much as possible, live at peace. Just don't make your pie so thin. Don't slice out the little piece. Own what you need to own. So as we close, we think about these questions. To think about where am I strong and where am I weak. To think about what my gifts are. Hey, if each Christian has a gift. We are interdependent on each other. 
pride keeps us from pursuing and using our spiritual gifts. And let me quickly say about this, because we live in a generation where everyone wants to discover their spiritual gift. Like you hear a sermon, you want to go online. I think we have a resource online. You want to take the test to find out what your spiritual gift is. I'm not against tests. I think they're good. I think they're very helpful. But I would say this, study the scriptures, the list in the scriptures of the gifts, and then serve. Because God works through moving ships. So move and serve, and you will find out so much more than you ever will from some test. Study the scriptures, read the list, talk to some friends, and just start serving people. And you'll find out what you're gifted at and what you're not. And remember, all of us are called to wash feet. No one's exempt from love. No one's exempt from leaving the wrath to God. By the way, would you do that today? If you're plotting revenge, can I just say stop? Stop and give that to God. When, when John read that, look, what Paul is saying there to the church, in, he's saying, look, I'll take care of that fool so you don't have to. And can I say to you, you better listen to God there. But when we follow after him, there's only so much that we can do. And we leave the rest to him. We trust that to him and to his care. In closing, as the team makes their way up, I think they're in the green room behind me, but as the worship team comes up, with screens and instruments and voice amplification, all the stuff we didn't have at 9.30. Here's something that I want to put, just a, a, some things about you that Scripture says are true. Just that list, if you would, about our appearance. Anybody think more highly of themselves than they ought? There's an old country song, She Don't Know She's Beautiful. Anybody remember that from the 90s, Sammy Kershaw? And uh, that was before I got married. And then I learned that even the beautiful ones don't know they're beautiful. And then I began a whole world of marriage opened up to me about women and men and what we think here. Too high, too low, there's your truth. What about your belongingness? There's your truth. What about your confidence? There's your truth. What about your worthiness? There's your truth. What about your security or your sureness? There's your truth. Would you stand? Let me pray over us. Father, we just, uh, in this moment, as we sing, as we give, Lord, would you compel us to generosity, even in this moment as baskets are passed, whether there's a a lot of online giving or whatever, Lord, just this is a moment for us to think about uh, how you've given to us. And that moving, rejecting pride and haughtiness, living with sober judgment is to realize that these resources are not ours and we're called to get back. And Lord, today, for a moment earlier, we didn't have power and we entertained the thought that we were suffering or that it wasn't going to work out and that we think of the small group of Christians in Afghanistan. I pray that you grow us in our faith, in our awareness of you, God, of our world. Oh, it's good to know what's happening around us, but teach us what's happening in us. And this is just coming to mind. Church, I pray over you, Psalm 1912. Lord, would you deal with my hidden faults? The hidden faults, the things I'm not even aware of. Would you give me grace there? In Jesus, we pray.
Amen.